0: This week in tech, now's your chance to get caught up on all that's happening in the technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now, here's Gene Destro.
1: This week, we're taking a look back at some of the most interesting inventors and entrepreneurs that we talked to over the past year. A new polymer fiber that changes color when it's exposed to opioid drug residue is being tested at the University of Akron. And as Professor Abraham Joy tells us, it may eventually help keep first responders safe from accidental overdose or even death.
2: There is no easy way to detect the presence of opioids right now. If they see a white powder lying around them, they, they don't really know what, is that, what that is. And what they do right now is they have these drug kits where you can put your suspected material into that you have to mix it with the reagents or shake it and it'll give you a very definite color and that color actually tells you precisely what drug it is and so that can be used in prosecutorial courts but it doesn't help first responders just know quickly if they are at risk so we're trying to solve a problem that solution is not out there right now where someone just wants to get a quick yes or no answer and they don't want to know definitely which drug it is they just want to know if a class of drugs which are controlled substances are there or not
1: would you build it into a pair of gloves or something like that
2: we are trying to now do different formats for example if you to electrospin it onto uh, these fibers onto a glove, then there is the advantage that it is the ease of use. They can maybe slip it onto their hands more easily and and dispose it off. That also brings along with it some technological challenges of having to electrospin fibers uh, uniformly onto a uneven surface on the other hand we can think of just as a piece of towel like a wet wipe if it's that then we have to think it can potentially be cheaper to do that but then we have to think of the officer using this is it going to be useful or will they be hesitant to use it or would a glove be better for them and in either case we have to do a market analysis to see how much it would cost
1: There's something new and interesting going on at the library in downtown Akron. High-tech agriculture. Dr. Philip Schmidt from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology explains.
0: The project that we're working on is called the Food Computer, which is the research from a um, research group called Open Agriculture at the Media Lab.
1: So can you explain to us what a food computer is?
0: A food computer is a little box. It's about... 10 inches by 10 inches by 10 inches. That provides a climate controlled environment to grow plants. You can place, for example, a little tomato in there and then you can control what nutrients are being fed to it through the roots. So there's no soil in there. The nutrients are dissolved in water that the roots swim in. And then you can control the amount of light and the bandwidth of the light. You can control the temperature. And there's a little computer actually that runs the food computer, which does all this work. You can download a what's called a growing recipe into this computer from the internet from someone else who's maybe grown a tomato, and then the food computer will execute this recipe to grow a tomato in exactly the same way.
1: And do you consider this to be the future of agriculture or something that could lead to a better future of
3: agriculture?
0: I think both. What we are interested in is using public libraries as spaces where communities of citizens from all walks of life come together and learn about new technologies and technologies that actually are very relevant to their lives, but maybe they're not thinking about or they don't really know where our food comes from. So we want to use this on one hand as an educational tool for people to just understand more about the food that they're eating and how that food is being produced. And then we also think that there's a tremendous value in having more people involved in how we grow our food and sharing expertise and knowledge with each other.
1: there's a new tech startup that just opened up a shop in Akron offering gym memberships for IT professionals. But as Drive IT Chief Strategy Officer Ian Schwarber tells us, the workouts they offer are for the mind.
4: So in the same way that you would go to a gym to do yoga or Pilates or CrossFit for an hour or two after work, a couple days a week, we're doing gym courses, but to increase the fitness of the IT workforce in terms of skill development. So we offer workouts in cybersecurity, data science, business intelligence, software architecture, as well as soft skills that a lot of IT professionals and business professionals in general need if they're gonna continue rising up the ladder and advancing in their career at any given uh, company they might work with.
1: So who's your target student or participant
4: so our ideal person is someone that's been in the it workforce or in the just in the business uh, unit that deals with tech at a company for one two three years four five years what is known as an in- incumbent professional what we don't do is take people from zero to sixty that's where you go to either a university that's where you go to one of the many coding boot camps which my two partners actually founded the first coding boot camp in the state of ohio or some people just tinker and learn on their own but it's not for bare bones entry level but when people have that baseline of skills or they've got a number of good different skills as more and more things change at the at the speed of business Keeping up to date and keeping current on the new coding languages and and definitely things in business intelligence, data science, and cybersecurity. Those things are constantly emerging and universities or boot camps, none of them really have enough products to serve those areas in the amount of quick hit type of learning opportunities that a lot of these professionals need.
1: An Akron-based tech firm called Fontus Blue is helping to keep your drinking water clean. CEO Chris Miller tells us how.
5: We hear a lot about the different challenges, whether it's lead at Flint, Michigan, toxic algae in Lake Erie. There's a lot of different compliance issues now in water quality and the software here can help them manage those complexities.
1: So what about lead and toxic algae from Lake Erie? What does your
5: software do? Does it detect it? It will forecast the treated water quality in their plant and if they don't like that it can alarm them that hey it's going to be below where it needs to be then you can make an adjustment and change that forecast so that you'll get the quality that you need and it will do it for multiple things which is really where our intellectual property lies. Knowing how to fix a single water quality issue can be straightforward but when you're trying to balance two or three of them and not compromise one or the other it gets complicated real fast.
1: In terms of your customer base now, are you only serving water plants in the Midwest area or in our immediate region, or have you branched out all over the country yet?
5: We're in six states and Canada, actually Halifax Water in Canada, so the six states are Uh, So far, I've been in the Midwest, but we've supported efforts in California. Florida has a huge algae issue. I think one of the reasons, other than just proximity, why we've uh, chosen to stay here is Ohio has actually been a leader in, first in the uh, algae issues, we're now a leader in the lead and copper issues for the entire nation.
1: A team of students from the University of Akron is developing an augmented reality space helmet for astronauts. Professor Shiva Sastry tells us the team is one of 10 nationwide competing to have NASA use the
3: software they're developing. The big benefit of this technology is that it allows a person wearing the helmet, the uh, headgear, to experience the world in three dimensions as we see it in our day-to-day lives. So what NASA's plan is that they will have a augmented reality system like the Microsoft HoloLens inside the astronaut's space suit. So if we are able to provide just-in-time guidance for the astronaut to do and complete their tasks, that's a big benefit from what they can do now because it's not just text, we can show videos, we can show uh, 3D models, we can show what the astronaut needs to complete the task just as they need it without having to put them through a long series of training exercises.
1: Imagine I'm in a spacesuit and I'm doing a spacewalk. I mean, aren't I already seeing things in 3D with my own eyes?
3: Yes, you are. And uh, this system system does not prevent that. But in addition to what you're seeing on top of that environment, let us say you're trying to fix a valve on, on the outside of a spaceship. You're seeing that. Now, the AR system, the software that we're building, will bring you the design. It'll tell you how to unscrew the valve, how to, where to find the replacement valve, how to test that it's mounted correctly. All that information is available to you in the same headgear. And that's it for now. See you next week.
0: That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more
3: tech news and find more online at wakr.net.